Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. My guest tonight is Christina, and she is one of the guest authors that has been connected to the Calvary Mac Christian Writing Group. So again, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've heard some of these amazing guest authors before. We've sort of partnered our ministries together, which is always so much fun. So these guest authors get to come and and pour their knowledge into these budding Christian writers, and then... I get to get them, and they get to come on to the Story Night podcast to share their story. So, Christina, thank you so much for taking time to do this and for, you know, preparing your story for us. Before we start in your full story, I would love to just let you introduce yourself to the listeners and say hello. Hello, my name is Christina. I write under the name Christina Suzanne Nelson. I am the mom of six kids, and my life is pretty well focused in the areas of faith, family, fiction, and foster care. I love that. We've, we've got all the Fs right there. I mean, as soon as you said that you had six kids, I think immediately listeners go, okay, tell me more. Like, I, this, that's a full household, and how did you get there? And so focusing on these, these four, faith, family, fiction, and foster care. And I, you know, I think a lot of people will be really familiar and relate with faith family. And and some, even if they have not experienced foster care, they might know something about it. The fiction part's going to be really interesting. And, you know, knowing you're a guest author, I can presume we're going to kind of go down that path. But let's rewind the tape. Let's start at the beginning and share with us a little bit about your childhood and just sort of how your life traveled down the path of these four main passions? Sure. Well, I grew up with the absolute best grandparents in the entire world. Granny and grandpa, they they loved me unconditionally. They often made me the center of their universe. They exposed me to church and faith. They gave me confidence. It wasn't until I was much older that I found out, well, people would ask me all the time, are they your mom's parents or your dad's parents? And I knew they weren't my mom's parents and I knew they weren't my dad's parents, but they were my grandparents. And so I didn't really have a good answer. And I finally found out as I was getting a little older that they had fostered my mom in high school and they'd been friends of my mother's parents and they just chose me as theirs when I was born. So in in no way did I ever feel less than or second best. I always felt loved there. I really believe that every child needs to have that person, at least one person in their life that is always on their team, that is cheering them on, that believes in them, that encourages them to do things that that maybe in the rest of their life, people are telling them they can't do. And so my granny and grandpa were those people for me. So that was really my first kind of exposure to adoption and foster care in my own special little way. When I was in high school, my brother had passed away when I was a freshman and I'd moved from my dad's house back into my mother's house. 
and life was very, very chaotic. My brother had been sick his entire short life and life was just strange and stressed. So I was kind of having a hard time, but I always had that foundation of faith thanks to my grandparents. And even when I was making choices that weren't the best, they could have been a lot worse, but they weren't, they weren't great. I was able to just stop and and talk to God and be able to reflect that way. So it wasn't, it was during high school that I became aware that I, I just really felt this calling that God was calling me to adopt from foster care. And that was kind of a strange thing for a high schooler to be thinking about. But it was at the end of high school. And so I went on to college and I spent a semester at Boise State. And then I came back to Oregon State because apparently being away from home wasn't everything I thought it was going to be. And I missed my grandparents. So I came back to Oregon State and I met my husband almost immediately. So after we've been dating for a while, I said, hey, so I really feel like that it's important that I adopt from foster care. What do you think about that? Because it's kind of a, it's a deal breaker here if, if you're not on board, because I really, really feel this calling. And he was young and smitten and all of that. So I was like, oh yeah, sure. I don't think he ever took me that seriously. So we eventually got married. And a couple of years later, we had our first son. And when we decided to have another baby, I didn't get pregnant right away. So instead of going through the long process with all the fertility and this and that, I just, my God brought that back to me that, now wait a minute, this was, this was part of the plan. And so we started the adoption process. But I didn't do it the way that I probably should have. I, You know, sometimes you know what God's calling you to do, but taking that step is hard. So when we started the adoption process, we started it with an infant in mind and not from the foster care system. However, God can work through any of our little detours and there was a friend of mine who was also in the process of adopting from the same place. She gets a call about this toddler who's in foster care and she tells me about it and it, it wasn't the right match for them. But I said, oh, I just feel like that's our son. That's for us. And so I called the agency and said, hey, you know, we would be interested in this little boy if you know, if there's any possibility that we could, we could adopt this little boy. And the next thing I mean, it just, the process was amazing. And we brought Joshua home a few months later. And he was a tornado. He was a handful little guy who kind of like, it's just really hard to describe Joshua. especially when he was little, he would just go from one thing to the next, take all the books off the shelf and move it to the next shelf and take all the books off that shelf and then go back to the first one and take more books. Off. He just had a lot of energy, but he was, he was such a funny kid. And so we finalized that adoption. Uh, you know, it's so easy for us to hear this part of the story and 
in many ways, it's like watching a Disney movie or a Hallmark movie where, you know, here's this incredible couple that is loving a child that is not biologically theirs, but is absolutely theirs through their, through love and, and just, oh, it's so amazing. And we applaud and we're so excited and, and kind of like props to you. But I know there's so much more that goes into this. And just even hearing you say at the beginning, that you had wisely, may I add, congratulations, wisely mentioned this to your husband before you got married. And that, you know, like many young boyfriends, <laughs> will say, okay, <laughs> sure, that's <laughs> that sounds fine. Not totally thinking it's all that, you know, real. So when it came up and it was real. Was that something where God had just completely put it on his heart and he was in full agreement with you overnight? Or was this a long process with a lot of conversations? Were there sort of growing pains within that? I just was hoping you could sort of speak to that piece a little bit before we jump into how your family grew from two to six. (laughs) Well, I have the benefit of having my grandparents. And so I knew I had experienced that love and connection wasn't a biological piece. It it wasn't dependent on DNA or biology because I knew the people who loved me most in the entire world were not biologically related to me. So in that way, it was a lot easier for me. For my husband, he hadn't had that experience and he didn't know and he was worried. And I know my dad even expressed some concern at first. You know, I, I thought I'd ask him, are you you concerned that if you'll be able to love your next grandchild as much as your first? And he said, yeah, actually, I I really am. And I'm glad that we talked about those things. As it turned out, Joshua showed up. And though Josh was a handful, I just can't stress that enough. He was immediately loved. Especially my my stepmother and my dad just fell head over heels for this little guy. And, and my husband too. And it just, until you experience adoption, if you haven't grown up exposed to adoption, it can be very scary. And there are, are a lot of questions that, you know, what if this doesn't work? What if I'm in this, you know, I'm raising this child and I don't feel the same way and all of these things. And it just doesn't work that way. It's, you know, the act of, Loving and caring for another person builds a bond that is unbreakable. So, yeah, it it didn't end up being an issue, but it was the process leading up to bringing that child home. Yeah, there are a lot of questions. And I appreciate just your honesty with that because I I think a lot of a lot of people have those thoughts, but are maybe afraid to say that they have those thoughts, and. It's it's just true. And what a wise thing to do to talk about that ahead of time and, and really address maybe some of the fears or the unknowns about it. And yes. and obviously it and this isn't to say that, you know, again, this is this is not okay, everything's gonna be perfect, <laughs> you know, ha- happily ever after. Oh, yeah. You know, there there's certainly obstacles and bumps in the road, but it was such a beautiful addition to your family and I love it. And you didn't stop there. No. So we thought we might because Josh needed a lot of extra attention. So we were really thinking about not having any more kids and just making sure that we had the time to really give him everything that that he needed. 
But then the attorney who had finalized Joshua's adoption called because this birth mother had come in and he immediately thought of us. He remembered us. And the next thing I know, we are adopting an infant. I was there during the cesarean. And Alicia, so that's my third child. She is the only one that looks like me. In fact, sometimes I saw a picture of myself the other day and I thought it was Alicia for a moment. So there is definitely a similarity there. So when Alicia was born, this is actually a neat story. So when Alicia was born, I was there for the cesarean and then they they wrapped her up. And after I spent some time there with her birth mother, a very, very sweet, sweet woman, then I took Alicia down to the nursery where they cleaned her up. And the nurse says, all of a sudden, oh, this is interesting. This is a very interesting mark she has here. My husband and I lean over and see this birthmark on her hip. And we both just about keeled over because she had the exact same birthmark in the exact same place as our oldest son. So, and we had always called it his angel kiss. So they had these matching angel kisses, which was a very big deal to Alicia when she was little. <laughs> I love that. So, you know, God, God has these little ways where he whispers into our lives. And that was, that was one for us. So we thought we were done again. It's funny. That's only half of our children now. And <laughs> we thought we were done. <laughs> this family was full. We had Joshua's foster parents at the people who had had him from birth until we brought him home. They would come to birthday parties for the kids and we just, they, they remained in our lives. They're such a neat couple and they would always bring the kid they were currently caring for. And they were always pretty young little ones. Well, they had brought this little girl with them a few times. She'd been preemie and so we'd seen her when she was teeny tiny until she was over a year when we went to visit them on the way up to Portland. And I picked her up and put her on my lap. And I had held this child before. It wasn't anything new. But for some reason, I set her on my lap that day. And it was like, God just said, this one's yours too. So we <laughs> I told my husband in the car and he just looks at me like, oh, no. <laughs> because that. <laughs> So, <laughs> the poor man, he's so patient. So we went, I contacted her caseworker and he put us fourth in line. So three people would go to committee and the committee would decide who would, who would adopt this little girl, but we were fourth. So we weren't going to committee, but that morning of the meeting, one of the couples dropped out and we were bumped in and the committee immediately chose us to be Emma's parents. So we brought Emma home and then we knew we were done, right? Totally <laughs> knew we were done. <laughs> I mean, we had this plan. We had this plan that all of our children were going to be born before we were 30 because we were going to be young empty nesters. We had all sorts of ideas on how our lives were going to be, which is so funny now. Anyway, <laughs> so so years go by and we're raising these kids and we're having a blast and life is wonderful. My grandmother moved in next door in the farm that we live in. 
So she was there the last three years of her life. And and that was wonderful and such an honor to be able to care for her after all that she'd done for me. We homeschooled the oldest four until they went to high school or, you know, somewhere in middle school to high school, depending on the kiddo. And we were close to the end of the active child raising phase. So Josh and Ryan had graduated. They were stable adults. Alicia was just about to graduate. And Emma's only 16 months younger than Alicia. So she only had one more year. And Josh had stopped by the house. And I was opening the mail. My husband was in Atlanta on a business trip. And I was leaving the next morning to go to California for a conference the same day that he was flying back from Atlanta. So we were doing this tag team thing, which is not very common for us. We usually have things spread better than that. And so I'm opening this mail while I'm talking to Josh and my mouth must have just fallen open. Josh looks at me and he's like, what? What's wrong? (laughs) I just handed him the letter. It was a letter from DHS. and these. Two little girls who were biologically related to one of our other kids, their mom was having some struggles and they had been brought into foster care and they were asking if we could be resources for them. So there was so much going on at this time. I mean, my dad had Parkinson's and he wasn't doing real well. It just, it it was a tough time already. And we just didn't know what we were going to do. So I called my husband and we were just going to pray about this while I was at the Mount Hermon conference. So I fly into California. And as I am in the airport, I'm walking up to the people who are going to be driving me to this conference and I get a phone call from the caseworker. So I stop and talk to her for a few minutes. And as soon as I hang up, my phone rings again, and my dad had slipped into a deeper state of dementia and was really struggling, um, especially with kind of thinking he was back in Vietnam. So it was just a really heavy week. And and yet, we really felt it was important that we were there for these kids. So I came back, and we decided that, yeah, we would foster the girls and and do what we could do to help their mom and help her get things back on track because she'd done really well for a while. Unfortunately, she passed away very suddenly one day and changed for all of us. And I, and I can tell you that so the first day that we were with both of the girls was at her memorial service and I just fell in love with them. And I can tell you my husband did too. And we brought them home from their the, the foster home they were in at the time. And it was over two years before we finalized their adoption. But they are now permanent Nelson family kiddos also. And we are, at one point, we had a kindergartner and a senior. And I was just like, oh, this is funny, God. This is really funny. This is not, this is not the all the kids before 30. But... Um, <laughs> But they are they are a real blessing to us in ways that we didn't realize that we needed. And they're pretty wonderful. It it was a crazy time though. So when I got back from that trip, my dad went downhill really quickly and he passed away. And we actually did his memorial service a week after 
the girls' biological mother's memorial service. So, and and then of course I had an emergency appendectomy. <laughs> so it was a really fun few weeks. And then the girls came home. Not stressful at all. No. Oh and my you know gosh. and you know, and, and in the time I'm still writing books, my career had taken off about the same time that as we were as the girls were my my first set of girls as they were approaching the end of high school my career was taking off so I was busy writing books and I just thought that oh life was gonna be a breeze and (laughs) (laughs) well and I you know I definitely wanted to um, ask you about that a little bit of your you know your kind of your writing journey and uh, certainly when you're raising six children especially with just sort of the stories that are intertwined and how your family grew, there's an awful lot of real life experience you have <laughs> that could certainly, you know, inspire you as a writer. But was that something you had started as a young child? Was that part of college? Was that much later? And and how did how did that writing path go for you? Well, I had never thought of myself as someone who could be a writer. It didn't seem like a possibility for me. I never felt like I had what it would take, I guess. Looking back, I can see that it was always something that was a passion. I loved to read. My grandparents really surrounded me with great books, read to me all the time. It was just story was an important part of my my growing up with them. And my dad would tell stories. He didn't read me stories, but he would create stories. He would tell me that were just absolutely amazing that I I still tell some of them to my own kids. It wasn't until my grandmother was living here that it was when she was put on hospice and the social worker came. She does, they do this interview and they ask you all these really, really hard questions. And I was so overwhelmed with four little kids and homeschooling in our little farm and making sure my grandmother was cared for and all of these things. And she asked me, so what did you love doing before you were a caregiver? And I said, I don't remember. And I was just, I was so, there was no more space in my head. I just didn't know it was, it was like, there was just this blank. And so she asked, well, you know, what would you like to do? Or, and I finally just threw out, I think I'd like to write a book. And it really wasn't even a conscious thought. It was just, I just didn't have the capacity to answer the questions. So when my grandmother passed away, I had this really weird feeling like I had too much time on my hands, which looking back it's just ridiculous. I had no time. I still had four little kids and I was still homeschooling <laughs> and I was still doing all these things. <laughs> but this big piece of my life was suddenly gone. And I just felt like I had to fill every second. So I wrote a book. And I really loved writing. It was just such a freeing experience. So I wrote another book and another book and another book. And I just kept practicing and I started going to conferences and learning. And even the process of learning was so wonderful. I loved it. And I, it hasn't, it hasn't gone downhill yet. I love my job. 
I, the fact that I actually, that I get paid to do this is so amazing to me. It is just phenomenal. It's like the first time I went to a writer's conference, they had this amazing worship. And I'm standing in this room with all of these people worshiping. And I just had this feeling like, how did I get here? Like, what an amazing God that would allow me to be here in this room, in the middle of this amazing worship and learning to do, learning this craft that is just so satisfying. So I still feel like that just in my my daily work. I love what I do. It is so much better than I ever dreamed it would be. There's just not that many things in life that are like that, I think, but it it's better than I ever dreamed. What a blessing. You know, for the women that are kind of budding writers or sort of interested in getting into that into that field like when you started writing book after book after book were these all fiction books if somebody wanted to read what you have written what could they do <laughs> well those first books will never come out of the computer they weren't very good <laughs> they were so horrible so and there was all fiction the first thing i wrote was a story for middle grades and it was called, oh, what was it called? Something Summer of Lily McGilly. Anyway, it was just a fun book and I just, just really, really enjoyed it. So, but then I started writing more adult contemporary fiction. Yeah. My first book that was contracted and published was If We Make It Home in 2017. And that book was actually chosen by Library Journal as one of their top five Christian fiction of the year, which was a huge honor for my first book. I was just floored. And then I wrote Swimming in the Deep End. So If We Make It Home is about these women who are reunited. They were college roommates after about 20 years. And they go on the survival week that goes horribly wrong. And it was just so much fun. So much fun to write. I actually had to have a diagram of one of the characters so I could keep track of every place that I'd injured her. And it, I just, <laughs> I had a great time. And um, the next one was Swimming in the Deep End, which is really close to my heart. It's a story about a teen pregnancy and all of the women, all these moms, and how this one baby ends up affecting their lives. And that one just, that one came right out of my heart. And then last year, More Than We Remember came out. And that's a story that really digs into how much can we trust our own memories and how much are our memories actually filtered through our our past experiences. And then on February 2nd, so the last book that came out then would be The Way It Should Be. And The Way It Should Be is another one that's really important to me. It touches on foster care and addiction and really hope because... Tough things happen in life, but there's hope. There's hope for all of us. And I, I'm really hoping that when people read the book, it will help them to understand another person's perspective. And then we have another, I have another book coming out next year. So it's really exciting. Congratulations. That's, that is incredible. And it, it sounds like you very much positioned yourself and surrendered your life into God's plans. 
after, you know, for so many of us, we start out, like you said, with the I'm going to have this many kids before I'm 30. And we, you know, we have our timeline and we write it out and we're like, here, okay, I've got this plan. God, just bless it. It's, it's, it's all good. Just can you sign your name off on it, please? And then life goes in a totally other direction. (laughs) And when we get to that point where we can just sort of say, okay, I'm going to stop creating my own plan and asking you to bless it, God. And instead, I'm going to ask you what your plan is and trust that you've blessed it and I will go that way, which is just a beautiful, beautiful place to be when we can really be surrendered and just, it fits. He's He's given you a gift. He's given you a purpose. And, and these passions that you have mentioned to be a mom and a foster mom and a wife and have your faith and be writing this incredible fiction. So, you know, as you kind of look back over it all, where was God in the journey? Did you have a pretty smooth ride with him? Were there times as you were growing your family or as life was maybe going in an unexpected direction that you were ever confused by him or pulling away from him? Or was was that always mm-hmm. like your rock, especially raising six children? Yeah. And and it wasn't always easy and beautiful. And we are not a home movie. It, that is just no one is going to call the Nelson family a Hallmark movie. We have hit some bumps along the way and they've been rough. And sometimes, you know, the kids have had, had, they've had struggles. I can say that one of the most rewarding things is seeing a kid who's had struggles find their place in the world. And Joshua, for instance, he was, he was a handful. But I am so proud of the man he is today. I mean, it just, it brings tears to my eyes every time I think about it. It's just, it is so amazing to see where he's ended up and who he's becoming. And I think that even, you know, five years from now, I'm going to look at him and and just be even more amazed that, that God allowed me to be part of that that journey. So that's really exciting. It's incredibly rewarding. The the hard work that God put in front of us, it has been so worth it. And, you know, along the way, he always prepared us. There was always, his hand was always in it. You know, when we, when our kids, the first four were getting older, our church, a woman at our church had really been interested in starting a ministry to foster families. And I wanted to be involved in that. I mean, I had two kiddos who had birth parents who'd aid foster care. And so I knew how important it was that we provide and love on kids in care. So I became involved with every child now I'm on the board with every child. But at the time I was doing, I <laughs> we said, well, we're not going to foster. We had fostered a little girl that we're, we're still involved with her now. She is a grown woman, of course, now and has two sweet little boys that we love. But we weren't going to do any more fostering. But I was going to serve in a different way. And then someone asked if we could do some respite. So, oh, sure. So we took this little girl for the weekend and she was something else. She's such a kick. I love this kid. And God opened our hearts a little bit more. And then there was a point where she might need 
a new placement. And so we were open to being that placement because God had just given us a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of the plan. And then she fortunately had an aunt come forward that has been just a huge blessing in her life. And then we got that letter about the girls. But, you know, if we hadn't had this experience with the little girl who was who we did respite care for, I don't know how we would have handled that letter. So he prepared us. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I I believe God always prepares us. I think sometimes we don't see what's happened in our life as training as as preparation we uh-huh. we just don't recognize it but upon reflecting back go oh my gosh that's what you were doing god that's what you were completely preparing me for that next chapter or for what you know that calling you had for me or for a trial i was going to go through and and he does he never Absolutely. he never just throws us into the deep end without you know the life vest or the ability to swim or you know whatever it is you know thinking of of the other women who are listening who might already be foster or adoptive moms or considering it, I was hoping that you may be able to, you know, kind of shed some light or, you know, give some hope and encouragement, maybe even tear down some of the myths, because I know there's just, I mean, there are stereotypes in everything, right? And and there are certainly things that people mm-hmm. say you know, I can just even think back to the beginning of your story where you've, you know, you've given birth to your first child and then you said you weren't able to get pregnant right away. And I'm I'm just going to take a guess that there are a lot of people out there that told you, well, as soon as you adopt, you'll get pregnant again. Oh, yes. That- <laughs> <laughs> I thinking, I hope not. <laughs> you know. That, but I think, I mean, sometimes just those comments sort of makes the culture that, okay, well, you just, adoption is just a means to an end. Like you just adopt so that you get another biological child, which is, I, I mean, I would love to just take that and shred it into a thousand pieces and, and burn that thought up forever and always. But there are, there are kind of misconceptions and there are some stereotypes and there are some, just, just some thoughts out there that, that kind of need to be squashed. And there are probably a lot of women that have, that do understand and that they get it and they've had a similar story to you and would just be so blessed to hear, you know, your, your encouragement. Having done this five times as to fostering and adopting that, that you understand and that this is, this is not your first rodeo. (laughs) Yes. You know, children are, you don't adopt a child as a placeholder. You don't, I, that child is your child. I cannot tell you how many times I've been to the grocery store or somewhere and people will say, are they all yours? Uh, yeah, they're all mine. <laughs> well, no, are they really yours? Yes, really, they are mine. It, biology is not a factor here. They are mine. Not one of them is more mine than a different than another one. They are all mine. They are my children. I love them. They are all pieces of my heart. So yeah, it's it is interesting the things that that people say. When Joshua came home, there was no baby shower. 
he wasn't a baby and they didn't, people didn't know what to do. I am so happy that the church is figuring this out because it's different now. I'm seeing it it done so much better when a child comes into a home. When we brought our girls home, in fact, the church threw a big old party and welcomed them. So the, the big, the little girls. So over the course of our experience, we've gone from the church kind of going, oh yeah, good job, but not really celebrating the adoption to, I mean, you should have seen the adoption ceremony. There were so many people there and it was amazing. It's just, it's a whole different whole different situation than it was. And I'm just so excited about that. I'm glad that we're talking about it now. I'm glad that people are seeing how fun and excellent and wonderful, wonderfully made families are through adoption. I could not agree with you more. And just the thought of the celebration, because these children are chosen. And just like you said at the very beginning, that these grandparents of yours, they chose you. And, yes. And God chooses us. And when he adopts us, there is a celebration in heaven unlike anything we've ever experienced here on earth. What a privilege it is for us to celebrate all children, no matter how they come into the family, no matter how old they are when they come into a family, that they've been chosen and they're joining a family. Yes. Enough said. There, there should be no other... <laughs> qualifications yeah. for that. Um, I love that. And I hope that encourages so many people out there. You know, even if you are not called to adopt or to foster, there are so many ways that you can still love and support children who are in need of a home. And simply, I mean, just that, you know, as a, as a church body or as a group, like, It doesn't have to be maybe even the traditional baby shower, but it's a celebration, throwing some kind of celebration for for that child or that teen, my goodness. Or even, I mean, we heard a story not too long ago of a family that they did the official adoption when the the child that they had fostered on and off for so long was an adult. And like, Mm -hmm. how amazing is that? That deserves a celebration too. Yes. Yes. And I would encourage... Anyone who is interested in learning more about how they can help to go to Every Child Oregon and and find out more. Most of our counties now have every child within that county that serves just that county. But it's, you know, in Oregon, we have about 11,000 kids who spend at least one day in foster care each year. And we only have 4,500 foster families. Those foster families are doing a lot of work and they really, they need people to bring them a meal every once in a while, or just an encouraging note or someone who says, Hey, I am praying for you and people who are willing to do respite. A lot of our counties now have foster parents night out and some of them are starting to get going again, even after this COVID shutdown, but it's a great place to volunteer so that foster families, they can send their permanent kiddos and their foster kids for one night a month to a safe environment where those kids are going to be loved on and cared for. And they're going to have so much fun and be fed and everything. And, and those foster parents get to go out and talk to each other in full sentences. 
So there are so many opportunities. There's launch boxes for kids who are aging out of care. And hopefully there'll be more programs put together where families can actually start to serve as a resource for a kid who doesn't have that family foundation as they're going out into the adult world. Yeah, it's it's important that we get involved. It's important that we encourage the foster parents that are out there. If you can't become a foster parent, you can still encourage a foster family. And by by doing that, we're helping to make sure that sibling sets don't have to be split up, that kids aren't bounced all over the place from one home to another home, and, and that foster families aren't overwhelmed. Absolutely. And if you are listening from another state or even another country, by all means, I mean, just Google. There, there's so many resources and programs that are out there that, that do need support. And there's so many ways to, to help. I'm reminded of um, Royal Family Kids Camp, which was a really sweet, wonderful thing that at least when I was living in Santa Barbara, it was there and it's probably in other places as well where for a week in the summer, all of these foster kids got to go to this camp and just receive so much love and encouragement and support. And I mean, even just to to go volunteer at one of those for a week of your summer. Obviously, we know we're recording this during COVID time and, and it's certainly more complicated right now. So at this point, you know, on, on this podcast, we probably don't have all of the answers given new restrictions. But if you contact whatever your local program is, they will have they will have those answers. And we'll try and include some of those links in the episode notes for you. If you contact me, I have a list of nonprofits in every state that work with foster families. Thank you so much, Christina. That, that's perfect. We we will have those in the episode notes for you, along with just any other information about, about you, Christina, and how listeners can follow you and read more of your writing and, and kind of follow your, your authorship journey. But I just wanted thank to thank you for sharing and for coming onto the podcast and taking time to do this. We always close with a prayer for our listeners. And so, Christina, I was hoping that you would pray for the for the listeners who relate to your story, for specifically within the foster care and, and adoption world, that whether they themselves were fostered or adopted or they are considering it or they're currently serving as a as a foster or adoptive mom, that that they're just prayed over. Thank you. Lord, you create us to live a life of passion. Lord, I pray that the women and men listening to this podcast, Lord, that you will make the passions that you designed for them abundantly clear. Lord, we ask you to touch the lives of foster families. Lord, we ask you for endurance. We ask you for unending energy. And Lord, we ask you that For those children who've experienced great trauma, who've had prenatal exposure to drugs and alcohol, who've seen things that no adult should have to see, Lord, we just pray for those, those minds and those hearts. Lord, we pray that you will help people in our communities to come alongside of our foster families and our kids in care and that they can be encouragements, and that they will speak into these lives, Lord. Lord, I pray for those foster moms out there that are just tired. 
They're overworked. They're running kids to appointments. So many appointments, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you will just lift them up, that you will show them that they are cherished, that, that Lord, they will just feel your love and that you will give them an extra dose of patience today. Lord, help us to find the path that you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you again, Christina. I think this is this is just such a sweet and precious topic and you know we're we're called to care about the things that god cares about and you cannot get very far in the bible without realizing how much he cares about the orphan yes so listeners i hope you were encouraged and inspired and impacted by this story thank you so much for listening and we hope you come back for our next story good night y'all the Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com women.